We are nearing the dead period in the NFL schedule. Soon we're going to be talking about training camp, upcoming games, the regular season, and it's going to go on very intensely for a long time. This is our last time to kind of uh, kick around some other topics. Uh, John Krasinski here. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was terrible. Let me start over. Three, two. Welcome back to the Viking Update show with John Krasinski and Jim Suhan. Uh, This might be our last show in a while where we are talking about speculative things before training camp actually starts off, but that does give us a chance to reminisce about what training camp used to be like compared to what training camp is like today, and we will tell you what uh, things might look like as training camp begins. We'll hit on a couple of key positions and key position battles going into training camp. This is the Viking Update Show, part of TalkNorth.com. Brandon Morton is our producer. You can find all the shows at TalkNorth.com. We do recommend subscribing to your favorite podcast app. It is free. It is easy. Thank you to our sponsor, StarBank, StarBank.net. So, John, you and I, uh, in various places uh, with various beverages in front of us, have reminisced about what training camp used to be. It is so different now. It used to be we'd trek down to Mankato. Uh, we'd all hang out together at night, uh, you know, and and I was there. I was there at the Albatross when Keith Millard uh, jumped in his car and tried to drive back to, uh, you know, try to get a fast food burger on his way back to Gage Hall and ram his rammed his truck into the side of a uh, of a, a fast food joint. I mean, we we've told all the great stories, but it is remarkable just how different and how professionalized training camp has become. It is, you know, it, it's an entirely different feel um, and it's hard to overstate it because I do think that the Vikings did enjoy having players get away from town, kind of everyone's in the dorms, You're kind of, there's some camaraderie that can build over those couple of weeks while you're all there together. You, ideally, you can concentrate more on football, but as we know with with young guys in their 20s, they can find trouble anywhere, whether it's Minneapolis, Mankato, or, or, you know, mystery Alaska, you know, like they'll, they'll find things to do, um, that you, coaches probably wish they wouldn't be doing, but it was just like, it was an event in a much different way when they were going to Mankato, you'd have fans come in, you'd have everyone at the bars right across the street. Um, everything would be just geared up all around for all around the Vikings um, for that for that period. And with the move to Egan, it you're I think you're right in terms of it's much more business like now they still have the fun things for the fans to do on the on the practice or on the uh, stadium field. And there's there's still kind of autograph signings and things like that. But the you know, we talked on the the Timberwolves pod just about how summer league in Vegas offers so many chances for fans to have organic interactions with a lot of players and executives and coaches just out and about in, in Las Vegas while you're walking around grabbing a meal or hitting the tables or whatever. Um, that's what you could do in Mankato. You could bump into someone at the Albatross at Boomtown. You could, you could see someone having a meal um, you know, at Green Mill or whatever. You know, Donna McNabb say all the tra- chain restaurants in Mankato. Um, but you could find you could find Vikings players doing that. 
um, and and the opportunities to see them, quote unquote, in the wild, just as a different vibe. In Egan, everything is just a lot more clustered and a lot more um, like a regular practice. And so there's not sort of the spilling out into the neighborhood in Egan for drinks and for food and for um, and for festivities and all of that. Um, like there was in Mankato because the players, when they're done with practice, can just go right home if they want for a while. Um, I think many stay in the hotel right there um, just to kind of lock in a little bit more. But um, but in general, it's just it's it's not like the old days. And I sound like I'm old and maybe I, maybe that maybe I'm getting old, but it's just it's a totally, totally different feel from when we would go down there and kind of raise hell for for a couple of weeks and, and, and then come back up and get ready for the season to start. And I'll tell my, my favorite, uh, when people ask me what training camp was like in Mankato, when you're actually just living down there and I was down there for like six weeks or seven weeks at a time, uh, in the old days, training camp lasted forever because the whole point back then was to get players in shape. Now it's the players are already in shape. Let's get this, our stuff installed. I mean, my favorite thing was, uh, the curfew was 11 and if you were hanging around the Albatross at about 11.54 or 10.54, all the football players would bail out and, and you know, jump in their vehicles and, and hot ride it back to Gage Hall to beat curfew. And all the Mankato football players would come out of the shadows and uh, let let the ladies assume that they were Minnesota Vikings. Beautiful thing. You know, that's called being opportunistic, Jim. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I do not fault them one bit uh, for that. I saw that very much so. Um, I had, you know, friends who were going to college in Mankato um, and, and you know, in, in my early days of covering the team a little bit and getting down there and, and you, you know, it, they had friends of theirs who were gals who were at the, who were, who were in college there who had different experiences hanging out with the players than maybe some of us did and, and had some stories to tell and, and things like that. So it's just, um, yeah, very, very interesting times. I, I still remember, I mean, there were plenty of times you'd sit. Yeah, it was it was Boomtown more when I was there. Um, and, you know, Antoine Winfield would be shooting pool. Um, you know, uh, you'd even get the very rare times where Randy Moss would come through and just make a quick lap and and, and then and then beat out of there or Dante Culpepper or or things like that. And that that was the other difference, Jim, for me, is that those teams, those Vikings teams, Robert Smith and Dante Culpepper and Randy Moss and and um and Chris Carter and Winfield and John Randall, all, all those guys, um just a different sort of sizzle about them. I mean, Culpepper would drive a purple Lamborghini down 169 and pull up in the first day. And, and like there was just, it, it felt like there was a lot of flash with those teams, a lot of personality with those teams. And I just, it doesn't feel like it's the same um, with, with the, with this latest iteration of Vikings, the last five or six years. I mean, yeah, you have some colorful characters and stuff, but not like that. I mean, you could, you could hear, Randy Moss coming before you saw him like there was a buzz around that entire team and the way that they carried themselves that was just 
entirely different and on another level. And um, I always just kind of soaked that up because, I mean, they were they were rock stars back then. And um, and I don't think it's just because I'm older and I'm not around them as much, maybe out out and about um, that I see this way. But it just feels like there's not quite the same zip that you get from these guys um, and from their arrivals and the way they carry themselves as, as those teams did. You're telling me that the air freshener in Kirk Cousins <laughs> minivan featuring sparkles doesn't do it for you? It's, you know, it, it's just a different kind. Let's just say a, a, a different kind of swag um, for Kirk Cousins than for a Culpepper pulling up like that or Randy Moss and his, whatever exotic sports car that he brought up and, and and all that stuff, just, just slightly, slightly different. Um, and, and that just takes a little different electricity than, uh, than maybe the, uh, the Culpepper Moss, Jake Reed, Chris Carter days. And I killed a lot of grass in Mankato covering training camps oh, over the years. And the, what made it, and let's face it, you know, when you're there as a beat writer, you're looking for insights and tidbits and and signals and all that stuff. So you're you're into it. You're watching everything carefully. It's interesting to you because it's your job. Uh, but the best thing you could possibly see at a training camp is two people like Chris Carter and Randy Moss making plays. Yeah, uh, because, because you know you don't know if a if a nose tackle is having a good day, really. You mm-hmm. know, but but to see Randy Moss and Chris Carter making one hand catches and tiptoeing along the sideline and trash talking, I mean that that's as good as training camp can get. Hundred percent, and yeah, they're they're they can put on a show without even really trying. And I do think that Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen do that. Um, yeah. you know, you you see that in the um in the training camps now and in egan like like the way that they just snatch a ball out of out of the air with their fingertips and 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 the way they do it, it it's it's remarkable um and I, but yeah and i i still i i absolutely remember to this day the first time being down in mankato and adrian peterson lining up in the backfield and just taking a handoff no tackling nothing and the way that he just exploded right after getting the ball in his gut and through the line and, and to the end zone and you look at it and you can, you can just see even at that level where everyone is so good, like the very elite players, they stand out remarkably well. And Moss was that. And Carter was that Adrian was that Percy Harvin was my other one that I always say, like he moved at a different speed. He did everything at a different level. Um, than anyone else did and that was the that was one cool thing about training camp which can be tedious and it can be long and they can do all these kind of mundane drills that that aren't necessarily really fun to watch but you can still see in within those little moments the the cream of the crop and they still stand out head and shoulders above even the best of the best um, that this world has to offer. And I will say that during the mini camps this summer, whatever they like to call them, uh, what really stood out to me during the mini camps this summer was Thielen, uh, the mm-hmm. way he works, yes. the way he gets open, his body control, his quickness in small spaces, his hands, uh, anticipation. I mean, you know, it's he he's he is a he's a both a great athlete and a technician, which is, you know, that's the definition of the modern great receiver. I mean, Jerry Rice was 
more probably more of a technician than a than a blinding speed guy. I mean, he was just phenomenal at what he did. Thielen is just a blast to watch in these situations. And and the other thing that I like about Thielen at Thielen at this stage of his career, Jim, is like you can see that he knows that you're thinking, huh? How many mm-hmm. more years can he do this? Mm-hmm. He knows it, and he so he goes about everything with such an edge and with such a defiance. Like he's been defiant his whole career. That's the way that he went from Mankato to the tryout to the special teams to one of the best receivers in the league. That's how he's done it. But that chip has only gotten bigger as he has become more established. As he's gotten all of his money. Now he see, he hears very real whispers about, uh, you know, do you see Justin Jefferson here, and and you know what's what's the shelf life here for this this kind of smallish uh, white receiver uh, from Detroit Lakes, and how you know it's been a great story and all that, but it, there's got to be an end, you know, sooner than later, and he knows that, and so he goes about everything with such intensity. Um, and with such edge and it's very, very cool to see like a competitor that he is sort of in, you know, holding on to his prime and saying, you're not going to, you're not going to get rid of me as soon as you might think that, uh, that it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what kind of system, what kind of season he has in this system with Jefferson, you know, pushing forward. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think he's going to have a really good season if he stays healthy, which is, of course, the question for all older NFL players, just the way it is. Hey, I want to thank Star Bank and tell you that big banks aren't the only ones with mobile apps and convenient financial services. I'd like to tell you about Star Bank. Star Bank is an independent community bank in Minnesota. They're family-owned and treat customer relationships as a top priority. You're not a customer number at Star Bank, and they have no call center. It's just banking how it should be, a throwback to the good days. Mobile app check, convenient services, you got it. Check out StarBank for yourself for deposits and lending solutions. Work with a local community bank that cares. StarBank.net, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. All right, so uh, training camp is about to start. What do you think we will notice uh, with Kevin O'Connell running that show? Yeah, I mean, I do think like, you know, it was interesting. Ben Lieber, I think, was on, uh, did an interview recently. And I don't know if I can't remember if it was on KFAN or if it was somewhere else kind of really stating the obvious but i think importantly just just putting it out there again about the strain in the relationship between mike zimmer and kirk cousins and just how the coach never really warmed to kirk i think that kirk certainly probably has blame to share and that relationship never really um blossoming the way that you want a coach and a quarterback to blossom and and so um, I do think that the best chance for the Vikings to surprise people and to maybe win more games than are expected is for an O'Connell Cousins pairing to really sort of um, unlock things that that were there um, in the past and just couldn't be accessed. And, you know, it, it was palpable with Zim. You knew that Zim didn't really care for Kirk. You knew that Kirk didn't really care for Zimmer. And I think that that permeated the entire team. And so um, this was something <clears throat> that Kevin Stefanski told me a long time ago. Or like in, I think it might have been Teddy Bridgewater's second season here. But um, 
at the time, you know, he, he came up to me after a practice in Mankato and we were just chatting and he said, John, what's, who are the two most important people in a franchise, in an organization? And I said, you tell me. And he said, head coach and quarterback. And if you have the two of them on the same page and you have a great head coach and you have a great quarterback, you have a chance in this league. And uh, they believed that they had that with Teddy. Maybe they would have um, if he hadn't gotten injured. Who knows? But um, but the, the, the Zimmer-Cousins pairing was never there. And so um, if there is a difference that will be palpable early in this camp, it I think will be that the head coach and the quarterback are on the same page. And maybe that will trickle down to better vibes throughout the rest of the team and to better play um, and better execution for everyone involved, including an offense that's been pretty good and a defense that just needs to get so much better. It, and it's going to be fast. And the other difference here is Spielman went in all the way on cousins yes. twice, basically. And this new regime, this feels to me, whatever they say publicly, like they're getting a, a quick tryout with Kirk cousins. And if it works great and if it doesn't work, they'll be ready to move on, which is yeah, a different I, dynamic. Totally. Totally. Um, I do think that there needs to be that pressure. Uh, yep. You know, I, I still would have liked to see them either draft a quarterback, Malik Willis or whoever, or bring in another more established veteran backup um, as a safety net to kind of put some pressure on Kirk Cousins that hasn't necessarily been there. Um, but certainly the contract part of it lays it bare as well um, that, you know, it's this is going to be the time that it's put up or shut up. And so um, I just think that's really important. And I think that having that sort of dynamic in play, maybe that will help Cousins to lock in even more um, and, and to see what needs to happen. Um, and so it, that's going to be a big factor in this. I, I think that for this team to exceed expectations, they have to play with a desperation that I don't think that they really have played with for several years. And I think in the last couple of years, it's been more of a complacency or a just like um, a, a weariness. Uh, we're tired of this kind of a thing. And, or for, for cousins, maybe a complacency and like, Hey, I'm, I'm locked in here. Like I've, I'm, I'm secure and I'll just, and, and, and we'll ride this out. Now, there isn't that there's a newness and a freshness and maybe that brings an urgency and maybe cousin's situation brings more of a, of, of, of an urgency and an intensity to things that will help uh, in the long run here. Let me ask you a big picture question. This moment uh, with all the things the wolves have done and with the you know, Vikings bring in a promising coach and a promising general manager and looking like they have a chance to at least be a good team this year, uh, especially that's the view nationally. Uh, who do you think wins a higher percentage of their games this year, the Wolves or the Vikings? Uh, well, I, th I think the Wolves do. Um, I think the Wolves are poised to win 50 or more games. Um, and so uh, it, obviously all of the caveats of health and everything involved, I, mm -hmm. th I just think they're going to be a really good regular season team. What they do in the playoffs, I don't know. I'm not sure if all of this big ball will translate to postseason success, but I do think that they will have a lot of success in the regular season. The Vikings, I still think, 
are a it feels like a nine and eight team. It feels like maybe a, a ten and seven team. Um, but uh, but I I don't I'm I'm I just keep looking at this roster and trying to find the changes, especially defensively. I mean, I know you have Zadarius Smith. Uh, you get Lewis Seen in here. You get a few other, but I just it, it's harder for me to see the massive upgrades coming, for, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to let them really catapult into a situation where they're trying to go for a division title. They're you know they're they're eleven twelve win kind of a situation where maybe they're in in um, in conversation for a first round buy or things like that. I just I have a harder time seeing that with the Wolves. They brought in, they, they had their biggest weakness was on defense, much like the Vikings. Biggest weakness was on defense, and the Vikings brought in Zadarius Smith, who has a good track record, but is coming off some injuries, and 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 you you don't know what you're going to get there with with the Wolves. They brought in the the very best rim protector and rebounder in the entire league, who is still in his prime, and so you can absolutely look at that and say, I can see how this translates to a big jump in in win total for the Timberwolves um with the Vikings there needs to be a lot more leaps of faith before you say yeah they're absolutely going to make um make a big move here and get into the double digit win category and then into the kind of winning percentages that it would take to get over the 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 hump with the Wolves yeah I I agree with you I think the Wolves have a better chance and I I'm like you I I think the nine or ten win team and I also think that they're, all their fortunes – I think they'll be a good offensive team. I think all their fortunes come down to are Smith and Hunter healthy and productive. If they are, covers up a lot of defensive flaws, puts them in great position, creates turnovers, everything else. If they're not, that defense – Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, Jim, in terms of um, – that's going to be the thing that I watch the most uh, when training camp begins is – um, how do Smith and Hunter look and do they look like two guys who can absolutely take over a game and dominate a game? And that's what we have not seen from them in a couple of years. But if they are those guys, that does change the ceiling for this group because, uh, you, you know, you're bringing back Patrick Peterson, you have your defensive backfield is kind of the same. You'll put Steen at safety and see how that helps. But really, they have to get pre-injury level production for the bulk of the season ushers to hope that this defense goes from a very, very bad unit to at least a middle of the road to kind of above average defense. Because if they can do that, then you're right. I think that the offense will be good enough. I think that will work out just fine to kind of score enough points. They just have to avoid getting in too, too many shootouts and the defense has to get some stops. And the way to do that is Smith and Hunter. And that's why those are the two guys I'm going to be just watching so closely as training camp opens, just to see where they're at physically, see how they're at, where they're at mentally and see if they can kind of recapture some of the dominance that they had prior to these last couple of seasons. 
Let's offer a couple final thoughts here. If you'd like to advertise with this show or the network, you can reach Karen Cleary at K-C-L-E-A-R-Y at TalkNorth.com. It's going to be a fascinating season. All Viking seasons are fascinating in one way or another. I think uh, a lot of fresh faces out there make th- makes this very intriguing. Thanks to everyone who listens to TalkNorth.com. We do appreciate it. All right. Uh, any final thought on any topic you like, John? Yeah, I think one thing that we haven't really talked a lot about yet, and we can do it more as training camp opens, but I said Smith and Hunter, I'm going to be watching a lot. But the other guy that I really want to get a good look at in training camp is Irv Smith Jr. Um, you know, he he obviously missed a bunch of time with, with injuries last year. He was going into last season figuring to make the leap and really become a primary weapon in the Vikings offense. And the injuries obviously prevented him from doing that. Now he's back. He seems like he's healthy. And the Vikings' depth at tight end is pretty depleted with the guys that they've lost. And so I think there's even more on Irv Smith's shoulders and more important for him in this offense, the way that Kevin O'Connell is going to run things, that they really do need kind of a big year from him and 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 sort of a reestablish him uh, as a as a young very talented target in this league and I think he could really help Kirk Cousins a lot if he is kind of back to the player that they thought that he was going to be before the before the injury set in so um I want I I'm very excited to see it I want to see what he looks like and I want to see how Kevin O'Connell uses him in this new offense because he can be quite a weapon if he's healthy and ready to go. And I'm going to look a lot at scene and just see how quickly he adapts, whether he's ready to start at a difficult position as a rookie. If he is, then, you know, then you have a little more uh, wiggle room. You have a little more safety depth. You have safety depth. You can play in other situations. Uh, Secondary gets deeper and more athletic. He's a big hitter. Uh, I I think scene, development might be key in training camp and that's something i don't know if you can track it with non-contact but between watching him uh, react to the offense in drills and in scrimmages and watching him in, in preseason games that's something that might be worth keeping an eye on for sure i mean look he and and he is sort of the poster child for Quasi's first yep. draft right yep. i mean He's symbolic he he made the uh made the weird trade to go back um the, the Ravens, who never seemed to miss on draft picks, picked the Notre Dame safety right behind them, right behind uh, when they traded out. And and so uh, I think that there's going to be a comparison about how those two players do and what scene looks like. Um, and that's going to be a, a big first signal about uh, the, the new Quasi era and, and how, uh, how this team is going to get off to that start with him leading the show. Good stuff. It'll be interesting to kill some grass with you at training camp this year. Uh, and and if anybody wants to hear more on John and hear John on uh, one of his primary beats, it was his primary beat. You can listen to the John Krasinski show where we break down the Timberwolves and the NBA. Thanks for listening to talknorth.com. Uh, check out starbank.net and we'll talk to you next week.